CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for May 2013. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. And in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book for May is the first half of Hamlet's Hit Points by Robin D. Laws. And joining us for this episode's discussion is our reigning champion, Eric Paquette. Woo, hello. And our challenger, Dean Gilbert. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Hello. And uh, next month, hopefully, we'll be chatting it up with Robin Laws. But this month, we read the first half of Hamlet's Hit Points, sort of the introductory uh, chapter, and then going into the, um, the the first example, which was Hamlet, thus the name of the of the book. Um, and next month, we'll read the second half of the book. So uh, let's go on with that. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to join us, on this or any other book club discussion, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send us an email or voice or message to include in the episode to thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Or you can let us know that you'd like to be a guest, and if there's room, we'll welcome you on. Excellent. Before we do all of that, we should tell you about our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Tracy, did you ever figure out our pick for the episode? Uh, yeah, we picked uh, Feng Shui. By Excellent. Robin Laws. And Eric, you, you're, you're our resident expert on Feng Shui. Sort of. I played one game at a convention a while back and felt playing it, it felt a lot like you were in a martial arts action movie uh, style, which is what it's... So it was fun to play. Uh, the stunts is... Be able to create new stunts is easy to do. Awesome. I've heard really good things about the game, and Robin Laws is well known for making all kinds of different games and, and new systems for specific settings and specific styles of story. Uh, Feng Shui is just one of those many, so check out a link in the show notes. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, it's uh, time to get into this book. Hamlet's Hit Points. Any initial thoughts people want to throw out there? Well, I just I just want to say beforehand that I am at a little bit of a disadvantage because I while I have read the whole book, it was about a year ago. So I've I've sort of skimmed the the first part, but there's probably some stuff in this 
that uh, that I'm forgetting. Sure. Well, and there's like a lot of information in there, a few pages. Yeah, yes. I, I found I found the whole thing um, at times like I, I would just have to say, you know what, I cannot concentrate at the level that I need to concentrate in order to understand what I'm reading here. Um, and so I, you know, I I close it and, and turn to a comic or something, you know, because my mind. My mind has to be fresh and sharp in order to really read it and understand what I'm reading sometimes. Well, I was having fun at Rose, and yes, there is lots of information, but I, last weekend I went to Star Trek, and while I was watching the movie, I was my mind kept going, wait a minute. Arrow goes up, arrow goes down for various <laughs> beats, so it was like, okay, it, it's sinking in. Cool. Yeah, I think you grasped it stronger than I did then. I was really struggling to, to grasp sort of the natural flow of all this. Oh. This book actually is what got me really interested in the analysis of stories just in general, um, that there's a lot of stuff that I was not aware of, even though that, you know, you get your grade school, um, you know, narrative arc from the beginning to the climax to the denouement and stuff like that. But there's a lot of, of other like small scale things that that really go into creating a good story, right? And I yeah. think that's this book's really good at, at at pinpointing all those those things. And and actually, um, it after reading this, I kind of understood why I wasn't as happy with fourth edition D anD D after a while because I, I realized that there was some there was a lot of of the stuff that you you read about in this book that doesn't really show up, I, I found in in um, the way that the, the game just sort of ended up being, and, and I'm sure it was unintentional, but um, but there you have it. Right, and I think what I think what you might mean by that is that uh, fourth edition in particular kind of assumes that the players are going to be like the player characters are going to be successful. It's definitely. I feel tipped in their balance, tipped in their favor. And part of uh, what the, what this book talks about is how you kind of need downbeats uh, in order for it to feel like it's a satisfying story. Might be a good idea to, to mention what, what upbeats and downbeats are. Yeah. So, uh, so, so upbeats and there are different ways you can, you can have that are when, uh, well, the main way they talk about it, if and correct me if you guys got a different understanding, was the difference between hope and despair. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and so an upbeat is when, like, generally speaking, when like you're feeling hopeful that the the protagonists of the story are going to to succeed in their whatever their task is or whatever they want to do. And downbeats tend to be where you start worrying about them or uh, other parts, other people in the story. Hmm. Yeah, and it never occurred to me that that um, the fourth edition mechanic system wouldn't necessarily play well with that. But I but I think you're right because I mean you can get in your story you can get plenty of downbeats in whatever system you're using, but you're spending the majority of your time in combat and fourth edition the by by des, by the way it's sort of designed and the way it's worked out is is you you're either going to win and it's a big upbeat or everybody's going to die. <laughs> And then the story's more or less over. I mean, that's that's been my experience with fourth edition is that it's either a TPK or the party wins. You know, and, and yeah, and even even then, you you start off. You might start off on a downbeat. You start off combat, and you're going like, okay, we've got all these monsters to fight, 
but usually within the first round or two, I found that, you know, it, it really wasn't much of a contest past then. And it was just sort of, you know, running, running out the clock or just getting, you know, doing all the mop up at that point. Sure. Yeah. The, um, mo- most of the setup is at a start. So you have a downbeat at the, a big downbeat at the start of the combat and then you quickly go up. There are some times you can do in fourth edition where you can put downbeats between as reinforcements come in or, sure. or, or, or stuff that, but those are not a standard way that fourth edition has presented itself. Right. And I feel too, particularly with the emphasis that a lot of people got on combat and the, the I think overall lack of story that were in, at least in some of the published modules, like there wasn't necessarily always a, a big story. You're missing the other beats, like the so there's a whole mess of them, and I'll just I'll quickly name them just to refresh everybody. There's a procedural, uh, which starts talking about goals and stuff like that. There's dramatic, uh, commentary, anticipation, gratification, bring down, pipe, question, and reveal. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is in in the D and D fourth editions of like there wasn't necessarily a lot of let's say drama or even like commentary on the situation. Um, sometimes there was grat- so gratification would be talking about uh, the players as as the audience rather than as uh, part of the story. Yeah, he, make, he, make, he makes an interesting point because he talks about how you know as as role players we are heavily engrossed in the concept of storytelling and and sort of what he's looking at doing in this book is saying, let's look at some of the masters of storytelling in other formats and see what we can learn from that. You know, so let's look at Hamlet and Dr. No. And what's the third one? Casablanca. What'd you say? Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah. Uh, And so let's look at sort of these classic stories and and see what we can learn from it in in terms of our own storytelling. But at the same time, he, he acknowledges fairly clearly at the beginning and yet it's an incredibly different style of storytelling because it's collaborative storytelling. There's multiple storytellers instead of one. And the storytellers are also the audience, which is an experience unlike any other medium anywhere. Yes. Right. And, and that's the thing that makes it difficult sometimes. It absolutely. Yep. You know, as I read through the Hamlet section, um, I kept looking at all these beats and it's like, oh, if I, what I learned is how Hamlet couldn't be run as a D&D game. Not how, how – I didn't learn much, of, much in terms of what I can do in my games from Hamlet. I just learned you can't do a story like Hamlet in a D&D game and be satisfied with it. Yeah, I, I – just to, to sort of serve as an example, like I said, I read this a year ago. And I have not really, to my satisfaction, been able to apply the, um, the, the, the lessons in this, in this book – um, but then again, my most of my games, admittedly, are combat oriented. So I, I think that it's almost a case of the system has to keep that sort of thing in mind. And uh, actually, uh, a, a game that just occurred to me that that I think does this really well, but hasn't been around in twenty years, is Torque. Hmm. And and as part of that system, every round of combat, you had a a situation change. Um, that either benefited the party, the, the players, or benefited the um, the villains. Hmm. And depending on whether or not it was sort of your "quote unquote" standard um, scene, where it's you know the guy, the players expected to wipe the floor with the villains, 
um, more good things would happen to them. But in dramatic, so to speak, uh, scenes, more bad things would happen to them. And so you'd have to slowly um, build up a little bit more um, resources in order to finally um, finally um, beat the villains. And, and it's kind of occurred to me that I, I haven't really found another game that's really st- sort of hit that note to my satisfaction yet. No, but you did just give me about half a dozen different ideas of how to add in uh, house rules or environmental things that would that would simulate some similar concepts. Yes. Well, and, and so one of the things that I find is that a lot of D&D uh, knowledge or wisdom is about the whole, the random tables thing, like going back in time, you do like random encounter tables. Uh, but the problem is, is if you actually did it in a random way, you couldn't help with the beats. Mm-hmm. But if you had an idea... Like if you had a if you planned in a bunch of encounters that were meant to uh, meet certain beats, you could put them in as needed to 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 do that sort of balancing act if you wanted. Well, and I'm not even sure that that's even that's necessarily true. I think part of the part of the the trick I think would make this this book really work is if um, you really just sort of got used to to thinking this way all the time. Right, mm-hmm. like Eric, I think it was you mentioned towards the beginning that you wanted to the, see the Star Trek movie and you were you were picking it apart, right? Yeah, I, I was as I was watching the movie, Absolutely. I was seeing okay procedural and all that, but I also was saying, oh, <laughs> it's an up, this is down. Okay, I, I was I was seeing sure it happened. So, and, and I feel like I feel like if I got myself so used to thinking that way that as a DM I could I could notice, hey, we're moving a lot in this direction. I need to do some more of those other ones. Mm-hmm. That then I could sort of throw those in on the fly, even on a random encounter. I could r- randomly roll that you know this thing, this monster shows up, and then connect it to this, or lay some pipe with it, or or make it an upbeat or a downbeat, whatever I needed to do. Um, I feel like I could do that, but I'm Wait. not. I'm not used to thinking that way. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that's also just your comfort level of. Uh, doing things on the fly. If you're not very comfortable, you might want to plan encounters mm. that yeah, uh, would hit those various beats. And if you are comfortable doing it on the fly, then obviously you can just roll it randomly and just try to keep in mind, like, oh, we've had a bunch of ups. Uh, it's going to seem boring after a while. If they always succeed, maybe there should be some sort of um, thing that gets in the way of their goal yeah. or a downbeat. Yeah. I almost wanted to, as I read through the first chapter um, that sort of introduces us to all these concepts, I kind of wanted to open up a, a document and create a worksheet of this. This is sort of the formula of how many upbeats and downbeats and where they should fit and how they should go and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, right. emulate some sort of other story. Maybe take Hamlet and, and you know create a, a blank sort of template, and, and then I can just have that blank one sitting there at the table and fill in beats as they happen. Right. Um, you know, that way I could consciously sort of try to Im- imitate not the story, but the the pacing and the, and the the story development process that some of these other stories t- have taken. You know. Yeah. But but from what I gathered, there doesn't seem to be an exact formula in the equation. There must be X number of, eight of upbeats, X number of right. downbeats. It's more of a, a feel. It's an art form, so <laughs> you it, you can't. It's really hard to scientifically process it sure. and say, okay, new calculations. Yeah, although at the end of the Hamlet section, he does go through some, some generalizations. You know, notice that um, you know, we never had too many of these in a row, and there was never too many of this yeah. in a row, and it created this sort of feel or whatever. And I, th- I thought that was 
um, in conjunction with a possible, you know, putting together a worksheet to, to fill out as, as we had the adventure, um, I, I found that to be at least brewing some ideas for me. The other problem I have is the, just the concept of beats in a game. Um, just because I'm never quite sure what's a beat and what's not a beat. You know? Yeah, I was. That's that's one of the things that I kind of tried to figure out when I first read this. Um, was you know if if you roll to hit and you miss, you know, is that a downbeat? Um, I would I would equate it as yes, that would be a downbeat because you see at the end for the uh, for the Hamlets when they get to the action when there's the fight, mm-hmm. he's basically choreographing each. More each or less, move, yeah. each move as a beat compared to where the more dramatic, longer those discussions could happen, and the, th- that would be a beat. Yeah. So well, it's very but, fluid what, for the size. But I, I think that so the problem, though, that I find with that is that it's almost a neutral beat. Like nothing, nothing really changed other than the fact that you know uh, you missed you missed your turn effectively for that round well, whereas if you had a situation where if you missed you took damage then you might go like oh you, you know now you're going like oh great i i normally missed but now we're worse off than we were before well and, and um, that's that's not even necessarily helpful to me as a dm right i mean right. I, I i can't script or plan for the upbeats and downbeats in the middle of a combat because what's going to happen is what's going to happen and the dice are going to fall where they may you know well yes and no i mean you can pick you could pick monsters you can pick your monsters to try to get certain beats like if there's a monster particularly in fourth edition we had a lot of um like with you could use all the uh, encounter and dailies right away and it would be devastating and then afterwards it wouldn't do much because it would just have its normal hit mm-hmm. um and then there would be other ones where like the uh uh what is it catastrophic monster the the um, Cat- catastrophic damage or dragons yeah dragons yeah where they Cat- built up sure. sorry and and then they were able to do this like, huge amount of damage at the end uh those can kind of start affecting uh the overall combat but but you're right in that generally speaking you can't necessarily decide exactly when things are going to happen right. I, actually that's almost an argument for fudging dice rolls sure and, and like I, I've sort of observed with my group that the most exciting combats we have is you know when they're going pretty you know they're they're having a lot of success and then in round two or three I just I hit them with the um, with the monsters really really nasty attack and I you know take their hit points down by over over half now admittedly this has been happening while playing Thirteenth Age as opposed to fourth edition sure. but um but you know it's then i start to see you know the the players get a lot more excited at that point mm-hmm. and i almost wonder if sometimes if they're having almost too good too much of a, a it's it's too easy on them if I, I just go okay it doesn't matter the monster's hitting the next turn of course that only works if you're rolling behind the screen yeah or or, or even just fudging xp uh, budgets like in fourth edition where we had the XP budgets for an encounter to make it so that you could have multiple uh, waves of attack. Sure. Yeah. And so there are ways, but that's not necessarily the the choreographed. Every single action is a beat, right? I could see right. I could see breaking 
a, a single combat up into three or four beats. I could see instead of beats, um, you know, learning what we learned from beats in, in other storytelling and applying it to scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. and I could see oh, yeah. it that way and saying overall this scene was kind of an up and this scene was kind of a down. And so one encounter might be a beat, you know, Great. in terms of what I'm thinking about and planning about. And that requires a lot less heavy duty thinking on my part as a DM of, wait a minute, was that up? Was that down? Where are we at now? You know, and trying to keep track of all that. The only Great. problem with that, though, is, is that because D&D sort of assumes that you're going to succeed in in the combats, then every single one of those is going to be an upbeat. No, no I mean, yes and no. I've, um, yeah. it, it has not been unheard of for me in my games as a DM to uh, create a winning combat where the players still feel like they lost, you know? That, that the bad guy got away or the artifact was destroyed or, you know, stuff like right. that happens. Okay. But, then, but then that's, that's there's other goals right. in the combat as opposed to just fighting. Absolutely. Yeah, I tend to do things other than fighting. Is, but I can understand if you're if you're not doing uh, a goal other than fighting, that it would be difficult. Yeah, a goal with just fighting would just be, like in D and D, would pretty much be always not be. Which means that when you're outside of co- of combat, and if you're just doing combat that's upbeats, then you would need to get balanced out with having some downbeats. That way. The players, when they go into combat, they go, okay, cool, we're in combat now, we're going to get, and they're going to get their, their rush, their high mm-hmm. upbeat that will give them hope because they're succeeding something. Mm-hmm. It also encourages a lot more um, putting in some of the, more of those dramatic beats, those role-playing encounters, those skills-based encounters, doing a lot more than just the straight-up combat in order, to mm-hmm. get, in order to get the up and down beats that you want. Right. Which I don't think yeah. is all bad. No. <laughs> now, did anybody else? Is anybody else? Um, like, I'm I'm struggling because the big example that we've had so far is Hamlet. Um, I am not the most appreciative consumer of Shakespeare. Right. Um, I have never read nor seen Hamlet. Um, I'm not anticipating the other. Um, sections to be much more helpful because I have also n- never seen Dr. No, nor have I ever seen Casablanca. <laughs> so I've got a lot of references. Um, what the, the most recent of which is, what, the early 80s? Um, which are well beyond my, my scope of experience. Well, I, I didn't have as much of a problem because I actually do like Shakespeare, but I haven't seen Dr. No or Casablanca. So... <laughs> I haven't not seen Casablanca. I've seen Doctor No. I have it on tape, yeah. <laughs> for old school. And uh, I've seen. I never read Hamlet, but I I have seen uh, some Hamlet, even more a, a recent interpretation with David Tennant as being Hamlet himself. So. Oh, I've heard about that one. <laughs> it was good. Uh, Patrick Stewart plays his father. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've I've read Hamlet and I've seen Doctor No, but I haven't watched uh, Casablanca, which probably explains why when I when I read this, I I was a lot more going into the detail in in Hamlet and in in Doctor No, and then pretty much kind of skimmed Casablanca at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now we know what to do before our next book club. 
watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> yes, I know yes. that. I, I, I actually the other day I went up on Netflix to see how many of these were available on Instant Watch to see what I could sort of catch up on quickly before uh, I read those sections because because I'd gone through the Hamlet section and it, it became dizzying because I was trying to consume the story and his analysis of the story beat by beat at the right. same time and it was difficult to to really follow along. Yeah, that probably wasn't. Uh, I, I almost wonder if it if if it would have been better for this book to have done like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings or (laughs) (laughs) what gamer hasn't consumed those, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I I think part of the problem with those in my experience is they don't Shakespeare is really great at recognizing the audiences as being two on two levels. Mm. Uh, Like both uh, wanting to be engrossed in the story being told and also having to to throw out like the peanut gallery references Mm. or the, um, the, the references that they would get that aren't necessarily really part of the story or the double entendres and, and things like that that, yeah. that amuse an audience. Uh, now, all that said, he, he goes through each beat sort of briefly explaining what happened and then yeah. analyzing it and then explaining um, where appropriate sort of how this would impact your game storytelling. Yeah. And I find I found that almost every time he got into and this is what you can learn for your game was and this is why this wouldn't work for your game. There was very little of, and this is what we can learn, um, which which I found a little bit frustrating as well. Because I got as I'm getting into it, it's like, okay, well, that I, I'm I'm at least following along the story here with, along with you, but what can I get out of this? What's the point of all this? How do I learn something about my game for this? And I'm and I'm just not quite there. I, I think that that's unfortunately right at the end after Casablanca. Okay. There, there's there's a little there's a little section there that sort of goes a little bit more into into in depth into what you can actually do. But even then, I I seem to recall it not being it was still more theoretical mm-hmm. on, on what you can do as opposed to specific like practical stuff. Right. From what I gathered of Hamlet, though, the most is that you know. In order to, for you to do Hamilton in a role-playing game sense, you need you would need to completely change the point of view of the characters because, for most of the time in Hamlet, the main character who would be one of the piece personal characters or most of the personal characters are not really there, and you only see through the NPCs, mm-hmm. which is totally different in a role-playing game where the the main characters, the PCs, are mostly there all the time. There are a few RPGs out there that do work with where a player can take the role of an NPC and be involved in the scene. Sure. I mean, yeah. Hamlet's player would be all over the place, right? But but if you're playing one of the other characters, you you spend 75% of your game night sitting around watching other, uh, you know, watching Hamlet do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I mean, it is all the time. <laughs> it is one of the things that other games like uh, when, when I play Leverage and, and games like that, where you you create scenes that not everyone is in, and yet the characters still have a way, like the players still have a way of interacting with that scene, although in a limited way. But the scenes also don't take very long, yeah, uh, because it's not it's not a full D and D combat. D and D doesn't have that as much, although they did. I know in fourth edition, I think it was was it DMG two where they started talking about basically cut scenes and stuff like that to help mm-hmm. provide these type of story beats without it being the player characters working through it. Which is also yeah. the DMG that Robin Laws worked on, so that would make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. well. There, there is stuff I think in the DMG too that that came out of this book. Yeah, yeah. 
There's also a lot there, as I understand it, that came out of um, Robin's laws of, of good game mastering, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I mean, we've chatted around a lot of this, and I'm afraid if we go too far, we're going to start picking apart the second half, which we're not supposed to have read yet. So. Mm-hmm. I like the first chapter, the surprise by story part oh. that we haven't talked about yet. Tell us about it. This or or the, rather, remind me about it. This is talking about the history, like how D and D came to be, and uh, just that refocusing from. I thought it was. Yeah, it's how it came to be, uh, how D and D evolved, and how the role playing game went from there. Right, and basically, the genius of what D and D was. Yep. Mm-hmm compared to what was happening at the time, which was a lot of war games, and you're talking more in a general, and now you're playing specific characters and telling stories that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find that interesting and, and worth reading. Um, I mean, it's a story that I've heard before. This is just a, sort of an, another an interesting retelling of it, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, yeah, and, and I enjoyed getting into the, the, the initial sort of philosophy of, of the concepts that he was going to get into. Um, and then slowly but surely it just got to be I needed to focus way more on what I was reading than I probably was doing you know I, I, I'm reading like during silent reading time at, at at school with my students in the room right. well, I gotta read and monitor the kids at the same time that means I missed probably half of what I read <laughs> you know I can do that with a novel I had a hard time doing that with this yeah once once you get to the analysis sections it's definitely not light reading right yeah, I definitely felt like I was back in college a little bit, but I, I enjoy that. So, I look well. More, well, I'll, he is picking apart, you know, a, uh, a play or a movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know that that's that's you're not sort of getting that nice, you know, I'm just watching it kind of feeling. You're you're mm-hmm. actually at well, it's like doing a lit class, right? And I and I was a government major, but I took a few uh, lit classes, so. Uh, that helps me too, and I know not everybody necessarily has that background. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, is that all we got? Uh, that's it for me. Sounds like it. And yeah. Until next time, and we we didn't. It wasn't quite fifty percent of the book, right? Um, no, it was like thirty percent, from what I recall. Yeah, it's about thirty percent. But if we, I know if I checked and if we'd gone through Doctor No, we would have ended up like at sixty percent. And, you know, well over. So I figured let's go. Sh- let's go short on this one and, and give ourselves a little more breathing room for next one. Although it's, I, I, you know, it's going to be a little bit more of the same, right? Only next time we're going through Doctor No and we're going through Casablanca, uh, and then whatever sort of conclusionary chapters are there at the end. Uh, yeah. ho- hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to Robin um, next month as well, or at least I will. Tracy may or may not, depending on her traveling uh, situation. So, uh, all right. I'm also interested to see the difference between a play and movies, where movies are obviously meant to be very visual and can play with different things than a play can. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to references uh, or storytelling uh, tropes that are, if not modern, a little bit more modern. Yeah. Right. You know? and, I'm, and I'm curious, isn't, uh, was Dr. No also a book? Yes, it was. And it was. He, and is he basing his analysis of Doctor No off of the, the the novel or off of the movie? Of the movie. Is he okay? Yeah. He's basing it off the movie, which also which will be interesting to see because of the fact that 
since Dr. No is a James Bond movie book, well, James Bond is pretty much a solo character for most of the time with some, some minor characters that come and go. So, mm-hmm. Although I, I was anticipating that James Bond would probably be the most relevant to my gaming experience because it's an, it's an adventure story. Yes, it's you know, an action-based... Yeah, it's an action story where not, the other two aren't really. Yeah. yeah see, that's, that's why I actually would have thought that Star Wars would have been a better choice because you have an action story that's an ensemble. Yeah, that'd be good. Right. Or Lord of the Rings for the same reason, right? Yeah. But they split the party. <laughs> As happens. At least they have a party. Hamlet's got three people that barely ever talk to each other. Yeah. Well, I think in Lord of the Rings, what actually happened is it was it was one really big group that said, you know what, we got to split up, guys. This is taking <laughs> the DM can't handle all of us at once. So, and it's so long. It's it's like five five hours between my turns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All righty. So, let's go ahead and end this thing up. Uh, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, as well as our guest, Eric M. Paquette, over at Eric M. Pack on Twitter, yes? Yes. And Dean Gilbert, who is Arcane Springboard. Yes, with the B-R-D at the end instead of board. Okay. Is there anywhere else that people should be looking for you on the interwebs? Um, I occasionally blog at Critical Hits, although admittedly I haven't done that in a while. Right on. I think everybody uh, everybody should know Critical Hits, right? Yes. Eric, you had something else? Julian, I recently I participated in the Game Chef competition and oh, put yeah? a game there. So how'd you do? It just been submitted, so now it's in the review phase. So awesome. Congrats. It was. It, it was. It's the first time I ever wrote something like that. So I was like, "Hey, let's write us." <laughs> what did you write? I wrote an adventure I call "Elevator of the Third Eye." Okay. A secret, a secret psychic war between aliens and the human resistance. Beautiful. <laughs> so. Nice. And we also want to thank our listeners. Thanks for using the affiliate links to Amazon and the D and D Classic Store. Great. And if uh, you would like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And if you want to find show notes and, all, and links to all these things, you can do that over at thetomeshow.com where we also have other great Tome Show shows available. And that is our thoughts for the first half of Hamlet's Hit Points. Join us next month as we discuss the rest of the book and hopefully have a chat with the author, Robin D. Laws. I'm on the wall.